Hello, everyone, and welcome to the UConn Football Podcast, to be named later. This is Amon <laughs> Kidwai. I'm joined by Tucker Warner and Luke Swanson, two names you both should know quite well from the UConn blog and other places, including Twitter.com. Um, the purpose of this podcast, as the name suggests, is to go deep on UConn football. Uh, we're about to do a detailed discussion on the state of the program. It's in a very interesting place. Uh, re having recently moved to Independence after moving the rest of the athletic department to the Big East, they just hired a new coach after getting rid of Randy Edsel in the middle of last season under unusual circumstances. But for whatever reason, optimism does still reign supreme in stores and parts of East Hartford. While some people think UConn football maybe shouldn't exist or needs to move to the FCS level or something like that, um, we think it's a little bit more nuanced and complicated than that. Tucker, let's, let's address the big, the big question that lots of UConn fans are asking. Should UConn football exist? Well, let's put it this way, Amon. Uh, when I go, you know, to the Rensselaer Field to drink six times every Saturday uh, or every fall on Saturdays, I would like to be watching a football game while I'm there. So, from that perspective, yes, I would really appreciate it if UConn football continued to exist. Uh, from a less selfish perspective, I do think that, you know, yeah, there's plenty of value to having a football team as just a college in general. I think it's one of those great college experiences, and you know, quite frankly. Money losses, eh, who cares? You're supposed to lose money at college. Uh, enjoy yourselves, students. Start going into games if you can. Uh, UConn football absolutely has given me no enjoyment over the last five years, and yet it needs to exist. I was about to say, uh, usually for me, it's the other way around. When I'm going to rental fear to watch a, watch a UConn game, I'd appreciate if there were a, six or so, preferably more beers to help me with that. Do you agree? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, let's just say that uh, I hope that the Sam Adams stands are where I expect them to be this upcoming season. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, I, I think football, it's definitely something that that the school has shown a commitment to and uh, just a, a regular commitment to over the years. And especially with the with the move to independent, it could have easily been just uh, sort of a, a death march towards moving to the to the FCS like some other schools that. I will not name, but I think that they've definitely shown a uh, onus on scheduling and in other aspects, uh, showing out a little money for a coach and uh, assistance that uh, has definitely shown a, a program commitment. So I, for the many haters and losers out there, I don't think UConn football is going anywhere. Yeah. I mean, the idea that, well, first of all, let's, let's not ever underestimate the amount that it has been beneficial for the entire rest of the athletic department to be a member of the Big East, including the basketball programs that define the UConn athletic department and almost all of the other programs. You know, I think um, baseball, we, we all can agree, move to a worse conference, but um, a, a lot of benefits on travel and just all of it making sense to be a member of the Big East versus the American. And then making independent you know, making Muta independent independence, that was pretty bold. I, I think you have to give David Benedict some credit on just making that move. It created a lot of extra work for him. 
right? He had to put some schedules together really quickly, including one schedule that he then had to cancel entirely a little while later because of uh, COVID-19. So he put a lot of extra work on his plate to, to make it happen. And I think we can definitely agree that looking at the future schedule and just who's on it, right? You've got enough Syracuse, you've got enough Boston College, you've got those ACC teams that UConn has a puncher's chance against if they can ever get decent, like Duke and, and uh, those, those types, Duke, Indiana, perfect schools for the future schedule. Um, I think, you know, the, the one thing that's missing right now is bowl ties, but, um, you know, so far you have to feel like the independence thing has been a decent rehab program, rehab for the football program. And, and so far they're moving in that direction. Yeah, I totally agree, really. And I think that one thing that people might lose sight of, uh, especially outsiders who might not be such a huge fan of the team, uh, you know, not following it, you know, day in, day out, like, uh, you know, us three, for example, uh, they might not realize that this program is basically being rebuilt from the ground up entirely. Uh, this isn't a situation where a team bottoms out, uh, but they can rebuild quickly because all the structures are still in place. This isn't that situation earlier in the decade where UCF went 0-12 for the season, then two years later were national champions. Don't at me. Um, apart from that, you know, like UConn's got great facilities, but you know, that's the one thing every recruit says, but other than that, we don't really have the fan base right now. We don't have, um, you know, the, the great conference tie-in that, uh, you know, we did at one point before realignment really truly started in earnest. Uh, and so the schedule we have right now as an independent is based upon entirely just building this program back up. Uh, so you have a lot of games right now that maybe aren't necessarily the most appealing if you're trying to build you know, a, a schedule that's going to get you into, you know, one of the New Year's Six, uh, New Year's Six Bowls, one of, you know, the BCS Championship or, you know, whatever they're calling it these days. Um, this is a schedule that's designed to get fans back in the stands, to get students going again and engaged with the program and really just prove to uh, a conference over the long term that we can be, um, you know, like ready for whatever happens next after this round of realignment ends. Uh, I know that's the thought on everybody's mind right now. I know it's definitely the one on Dave Benedicts, who I see staying here long term. Uh, and in order to make that work, I think that uh, what's going to happen is that they have to build the schedule up slowly but surely as they are with every other aspect of the program. That be All of that being said, the, the challenge here is that UConn has been through a lot of shit, right? Like, you think about, like you said, the impact of the downgrade from the Big East to the American and, and what that has meant for the program. Uh, you know, clearly recruiting took a hit, interest in the program as a whole took a hit and the schedule. Um, it didn't help that the coaches hired did not work out, right? Like Bob Diaco was not well suited for the head coaching position in that situation at that time. And Neither was Randall Edsel uh, in 2017 when he came back. Um, Edsel was able to somehow swing like two waves of optimism around his return to UConn. One being the initial one, being like, oh, okay, well, at least we got crazy Diaco out of here. And the guy who built UConn into what it was during its initial peak as it was a nascent FBS program. We'll see what he can do. Uh, but that all dies literally week one. Holy cross. We 
fight for our lives to win that season opening game. And two years later, he has to, he's, he's leaving in the middle of the season. Uh, he does the most egregious attempt at roster rebuild and rehabilitation you have ever seen in your life, frequently starting 18 and 19 year old freshmen and sophomores, calling it a rebuilding project. Um, I, you know, I, it was basically like a form of sanctions. We lost 20, 25 players a season for two straight years. And then somehow 2020, take the season off and, and it builds another wave of optimism around the program for some reason that they completely were not able to build on or, or act on. So um, the, the, the question I have for, for both of you, like, is what's the reason to believe that there's uh, like, why should someone have optimism about the direction of UConn and the possibility of improving? The schedule is good, but are they going to keep going one and 11 or, or two and 10? How, what's the path for improvement for them in this, in this state? It was funny, right? Because I think a lot of the second wave of optimism that you were talking about was a little driven by the greater national media, like by the, the, the famous uh, New York Times. Uh, UConn was the real champions of 2020 for, for canceling the season, which looking back is really just very funny in retrospect. <laughs> so, and so that was definitely the, dri the driver of that second wave which I think that's worth a, worth a book all on its own, to be honest. But the, the, the truth is, it's UConn's athletic department is in a strange situation because at most schools, you don't get to make one bad football coach hire, let alone two. Two in a row. For, for, athletic, for an athletic department to not lose its head after making two hires as bad as UConn made uh, since 2011, it, it's very hard to do. And it, it just doesn't happen very often. And these are arguably two of my, in terms of two in a row, like it, it as a pair, it's probably the worst combination of uh, two hires in a row that maybe any FBS program has made since at least 2000. So to rebound from that to say, okay, now we're going to have three bad hires in a row. It, it's it's kind of like rolling a die three times and getting, getting all sixes or something like that. So just the fact that that's what we're looking at right now, we better hope that Moro works. And I was definitely one of the more skeptical people at first, but what he's done with uh, the position coach hires, uh, won't talk about the, the defensive uh, coordinator, but – <laughs> with the position coach hires and with some of the uh, recruits and uh, names he's brought in through the transfer portal, the team's definitely constructed to at least have deserved hype going into next year. And they're constructed to win more than one game. I would say they're going to go way out on a limp there and say, that. but I, I think that Mora has done at least all the right things to start and to winning now as much as winning now means uh, in a UConn uniform. So it, it's, uh, it, it still stands to be seen what's going to happen going forward, but in the immediate future, it's looking a little, a little better than it has been. Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I actually feel a little more optimistic uh, compared 
compared to the rest of the fan base uh, that I have in a long time, which is kind of nice. I haven't really been in that spot. Uh, I remember through the Diaco era, I was typically uh, much more the pessimist. Um, I, I was more or less in the middle during uh, the new Edsel era, especially, you know, the last couple of uh, seasons that actually got played, um, mostly because there weren't really any expectations to begin with. And I think one reason that, uh, you know, everybody is feeling a little bit better finally is that so far what Mora has done has served as kind of a negation of the second uh, reign of Edsel. Uh, a lot of this has just really turned around from, you know, the strategies that he employed, that basically how he structured the program, and really just done the opposite of that. And uh, in a lot of cases, that's actually a pretty viable strategy. If you look at how uh, Ed Sold Part 2 ended here, um, one of the big things, as uh, was touched on earlier, was just retaining the players that you have on their roster. Um the transfer portal started and we actually lost fewer players via transfer this year than we were losing pre-transfer portal under Edsel. So already that's just a fantastic start. Uh, one of the big things that killed UConn football in previous years was that, you know, 20 players would transfer every year, uh, mostly guys who are on the fringes of starting or second stringers who had already been with the program a year or two. And so even though the starters actually had some talent, uh, if there was any one injury to a positional unit, the backup was a true freshman. And that's just not going to work at this level of football uh, if it's a matter of routine. Uh, players do, in fact, get hurt playing football. Um, so besides just that, like the coaching decisions that have been hired on uh, the staff, um, again, other than Spanos, th this is a brand new system, like a brand new style of basically everything we're doing. Uh, Nick Charlton especially is the one who uh, intrigues me most because in a lot of ways, that is the opposite of uh, Frank Joffrey, the previous offensive coordinator who, you know, good guy, but uh, he was not right for the job, I'm sorry to say. Uh, Charlton absolutely has um, the right type of experience so far. He's got fresh new ideas. He's not stuck in his ways. And between what the coaches have been saying about the on-field strategy between Mora, Charlton, and Spanos, uh, in addition to some of the you know unit coaches, everything's just looking like it's running so much better. Um, there's fresh ideas. There's strategies that are based upon the players we have on the roster, uh, which we didn't really see before. Uh, and, you know, Edsel's kind of stuck in his ways, formations and schemes and everything. And basically, it's just hard to look at an area of anything within this program and say that it hasn't made a huge improvement already over last year. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, one point that cannot ever be emphasized enough is that a lot of really talented football players left under the Randy Edsel era who could have absolutely been contributors to very good teams, very good UConn teams, and frankly were contributors to good teams elsewhere. Um, and, and we, you know, we saw guys go to Cincinnati, Minnesota, uh, East, Eastern Kentucky, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot went to FCS and into starring roles, but um, that's kind of what have to ha has happens to you sometimes when you're transferring out of UConn. Uh, it's not the ideal situation, but, you know, Tyler Coyle ended up at Purdue. Um, a lot of guys played into FBS starting or, you know, key backup roles. Um, yeah, Darian Beavers at Cincinnati in the Darian literally the college football playoff. Dude, Ty, Tyler <laughs> Davis got drafted. UConn oh, recruit tight, tight ends. Tyler Davis got drafted by the Jaguars. So, 
a ton of really, you know, again, people who absolutely could have contributed to very meaningful teams left because they didn't vibe with Randy Edsel and Randy Edsel said they weren't good enough or whatever. And, uh, you know, we just said they were on. Yeah. We just have to kind of like accept 20 guys leaving and be like, okay, yeah, this will work. Um, Mora's moves have made a lot of sense. You know, he's, he's done a, a good job on a lot of different fronts. As you guys mentioned, the staff, um, he's hired good people. He himself does not have local experience, but he hired plenty of guys who do, yeah, uh, yeah. including the local FBS schools, Rutgers, Syracuse, UMass. But he also even added someone, um, uh, John Marinelli from, you know, who's a longtime Connecticut high school coach. He, he was at Arizona and Illinois, I believe. So, um, you know, I, I think he's put a good staff together. And then, you know, to talk about the most important position on the field, he also brought in a, he also improved the QB room significantly. Um, and that's something that's in good shape that if we talk about like what makes you feel optimism for UConn football, for me, it's the quarterback room today compared to how it has ever been. Um, we've had some decent guys in there in the past, mm-hmm. Pindell, Sharefs, obviously did not make the most of those talents and abilities. And I think that's, what's going to be key for this coaching staff. Uh, you know, like Tucker alluded to is just, does this staff have what it takes to make the most of the talent that's assembled? UConn can assemble the talent level that it can. No coach is going to come in and recruit wildly better. He might find, you know, the right kind of people to fit a system. No one's going to do significantly better as a recruiter without first producing some results with what UConn can get today. And I think that's what we need to see from this coaching staff is some sort of ability to do that. And then I'll just end with one more point. You know, again, Herm Edwards, no connections to UConn, hasn't been a college coach for a while. What's the template? What's the model? Luke, I've discussed this with you in the past, just just on uh, side chatter. It's Herm Edwards. It's Herm Edwards at Arizona State who has been – halfway decent uh which you know i think if you, if you look at at that at their record over the past couple of years and you said hey what if uconn went seven and six or whatever the next two years you would take that right uh and i think he's just a good model right like someone who knows how to run a team who knows how to improve your football stuff and i was skeptical about mora too but the other thing that i i just really felt was it was a tough recruiting gig, you know, like it was a tough, sorry, it was a tough gig to recruit for. Not impossible. I disagree that it's like, who the hell would want it? I didn't think it was that egregious, but I also think at the same time to have someone of Mora's experience and pedigree and to be able to bring someone in like that versus the other options, which are like Don Brown, um, you know, Charlton possibly like making him someone like him, the head coach. Um, you know what, the Holy Cross guy, that, these were the names that were being thrown around. Um, uh, they, they seem to have done all right for themselves. And some of those retreads, I don't think would be as good as people would have wanted. So those are my signs for optimism. Good moves from Mora, the QB room. Um, and, uh, you know, just an attitude, an attitude that's like, I'm going to do the transfer portal. I'm going to try to be modern on offense. I'm not going to say insane things about running the ball or whatever. Um, those, those are the things that give me hope. 
it's funny that we're talking about Diaco and we're talking about Herm Edwards. I, that's my one critique of uh, Mora so far is he hasn't said anything that's quite as batshit insane as Herm uh, said during his first couple of months with Arizona State. Like, there's nothing he's he's said or, or done to compare to the, talking about how the, the the school logo is satanic. That's that, that that was a pretty good one. I I need to see a little bit more of of that out of Mora. I was going to bring up how uh, Diaco was known for just saying just bizarre things in his press conferences as well. But I did forget about, uh, you know, the satanic logo that uh, Coach Herm brought up at one point. So, uh, yeah, Coach Herm wins that point. Uh, Diaco, once again, not quite as as good as Herm Edwards. Yes, Diaco does remain goaded on that front. And, yeah, I mean, look, if Mora is avoiding some of Herm Edwards' mistakes, then he's already doing in better shape than, than our template for success here. Um, and again, uh, something that also I think must be emphasized, you know, we all, we all talked about how much we enjoy having a beverage or two on the field in, in East Hartford. I mean, the bar is so low for UConn fans' <laughs> expectations, right? Like you could legitimately be a six and six or five and seven caliber team with this schedule. And I think fans would be legitimately ecstatic if that could happen in any of the next two years. And again, just by making use of the talent on hand, we can believe that this is possible, right? And we'll just leave it at that, right? Crazier (laughs) things have happened in college football. And I guess I think it's possible that he could make it a five and seven, six and six-ish team, in which case, you know, the cycle, recruiting improves, interest in the program improves. People buy tickets for Rentschler. The Rentschler, uh, the Rentschler uh, environment becomes more fun again, which which already was, which used to happen, but then really went away. It used to be really fun at Rentschler Field. It's super hard to get people to believe that today, but it it's so true. It was legitimately fun and buzzing over there, and has been even as recently as 2016. That was a little bit of a blip, but but. It is fun. The fans like it. There's enough interest there that if they can be halfway decent, there will be enough interest to sustain a program. And that's to answer the original question, why UConn football should continue to exist. Uh, well, that's that's when the sheriffs was in town, right? 2016. That mm-hmm. was that was quite the year. We love the sheriffs. It, in terms of Mora's hire from a kind of a bigger picture athletic department standpoint, uh, he was sort of, and I know this isn't probably isn't the best uh, scenario for optimism, but he was sort of, I think sort of the, the, the Mike Riley, right? Yeah. The Mike Riley hire at Nebraska oh, in oh, 2015 yeah. to because the, the famous thing they did is what is their former coach, Bo Pelini was such an asshole that they went out and hired the nicest guy that they could. And that didn't obviously didn't work out super great for Nebraska football, but it's sort of a, sort of an, uh, a similar situation. Whereas Randy Edsel, I mean, I don't, a lot of it did end up coming out at the end, but he was just sort of a, a miserable football coach. And they really wanted to go out and get a guy who at the very least would make people optimistic for the future of the program. And where Randy Edsel held the media with very, very thinly veiled contempt, Mora is 
a lot more a lot more receptive to the media and he he goes out and he does he does good pr it's a good interview he had the whole great story about uh benedict going out to his cabin in uh idaho, idaho. was it yeah idaho. Idaho. idaho yeah for two weeks on vacation uh to conv- to get him to come here he has been really good in that front he's where edsel again wasn't a huge fan of going out and doing uh doing marketing for the program Mora has been more than happy to do that. And I think a lot of that has also contributed to the really good buzz that's around UConn right now. So I think that's a contributor to the, to the good feelings that people have. And that so far with his moves uh, in position coaches, especially I'm, I think I'm less optimistic than the field on, uh, Charlton and the the coordinator hires. I think Charlton he ran a really good offense uh, in when he was an offensive coordinator at Maine, and that's when I believe they made uh, they, they made it pretty deep in the NCAA tournament. They had a good run one year. Don't remember. In uh, I think it was in I think it was in twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen when he was. The OC under uh, the legendary Joe, and I'm going to absolutely butcher this name, <laughs> Harris Miak. That's that's at Minnesota. At May- yeah. Now he's at Minnesota, I think. Yeah. Uh, he, he's yeah, he, he didn't even, he didn't, yeah, he, he left as an, for an assistant. Yeah, right? He's a defensive coordinator at Rutgers for the upcoming season. Oh, nice. He, he got a little, uh, he got a little boost. I think he went to Minnesota for what a, a career path, assistant yep. mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's tough. That's a tough loss to lose your head coach to an assistant gig yeah. <laughs> at Minnesota. Yeah. And he wasn't like, even a coordinator straight away. He was safety's coach first. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. They went to the, they went to the national FCS semifinal in 2018 and Charlton was the offensive coordinator for that. And they were one of the better offenses in the lead in the league. Oh, but he hasn't really quite been as good of a head coach at Maine and his offense kind of followed in the years when he was head coach there. So uh, he, he's said a lot of buzzwords in the off season. Uh, he's, he's talked, talked a lot about uh, how the offensive is going to be hybrid of a West coast offense with some running components, multiple, but all of that it's, it's really just, it, he hasn't really like said anything concrete about how it's going to be. So I, I think that's still something we kind of have to wait and see about how how it's how his offense is going to translate and which which Charlton we're going to get to show up. Mm-hmm. And then Spanos is Spanos. Uh, I, I was very surprised that he ended up staying on, uh, it, especially on early on. It seemed like he was out of here. So that's that. Those are really my only two question marks of uh, Mora's actions as head coach so far. But everything else has been great. The the uh, position coaches have been really hot in the recruiting trail. They've, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about some of the experience that they bring to the table. And uh, I'm on, like you said, uh, Marinelli. I think that's good to get some local connections. Uh, once upon a time, there was a UConn coach who was hired, especially because he was friends with the uh, high school coaches. Now I'm glad that's uh, only a uh, position, position coach thing now and not the entire, the entire uh, goal of the program. But yeah, uh, Tucker. Uh, yeah, Luke is, of course, referring to Skip Holtz uh, when he says that. Skip Holtz, well-known for uh, Connecticut high school coaching. Um, 
you know, I, I think there's a lot to uh, to like about just like the entire setup of the coaching staff. Like we've both said earlier, um, you know, like the Mora's engagement with the local football culture has already been such a huge boon to the entire team. Um, we didn't have this before where there were, you know, like all these, you know, advertisements for local coaches, local players, uh, you know, there wasn't nearly as much, you know, recruiting being devoted to uh, the local players that they're, uh, you know, compared to the Edsel era. And I think that's going to end up being great uh, because, you know, the Connecticut doesn't lack for football talent. You're obviously aren't going to be able to build up, you know, an entire top 10 team just from Connecticut high schoolers like you can in Texas or California or Florida. Um, but you can certainly get really good players to come into your team. And if we're giving up the entire state because all the four stars, most of the three stars from Connecticut are heading elsewhere, they're, you know, going to Boston College or Penn State or something like that you know, you're, you're losing out as a result. And I think that's why uh, a lot of this is like being focused on just, you know, recruiting local and player attention. Um, I think that's why actually that Spanos was kept on for this year uh, because there needed to be just a little bit of continuity. And if it was going to be with the assistant coach that it seemed like uh, the players trusted most, I think that's a really good goodwill gesture to come in as kind of a newcomer, uh, you know, not really knowing any of these players, and having to pitch them on, here's why you should stay on this 1-11 football team next year. Um, there were a couple good position coaches uh, in previous years that I don't think really got to work um, the same way uh, that they should have, given the talent that was on the team. Um, Aaron Smith, I believe, was the name of the former wide receivers coach, who I thought actually did a very good job uh, building up the players we have, because right now, wide receivers, one of the team's biggest strengths as a positional unit. Um, and I think that it does kind of hurt to lose a guy like that who does have the player's trust in a unit he's built up and was so young. So it's a really great sign that between everything Moore has done so far, he's been able to keep most of our projected starters from last season, obviously bring in a bunch of new ones uh, from situations that were much better than UConn's uh, or what they would get here. So all this is building up to say, there's a lot of reason for optimism right now. Now, the optimism isn't going to take the form of we're going to make a bowl this year. Uh, I would love it if that happened. I don't see that as a super realistic proposal, but it does prove that, like, yes, we are capable of improving. We are capable of, like, raising our stature as a program, as a team, as everything that you would want as a football fan, really. And I think that's basically the big key of everything that's happened so far and why so many people are feeling happy is because basically every decision that they've made so far this off season has been the right one, or at least one that has worked in their favor. Um, and, you know, if, if you're not feeling a little optimistic about that, if you're not feeling like, you know, better things are on the horizon, well, then Hopefully you will once you see the team play uh, the first couple of games and you can see an immediate difference. I think the local recruiting is a very misunderstood um, aspect of kind of UConn's formula for success. Um, but totally agree with you, Tucker. It's, it's the point is, if UConn can do slightly better in Connecticut, right? And, and even Massachusetts and New York, two states that have started to have increasing amounts of, of football talent come out, um, there's enough there to, again, just have a basis for believing that 
there's a path upward for for UConn. So um, I I'm I agree with Luke the the idea of hiring a head coach on the grounds that that recruiting in state is so important was uh, so a little a lot of flawed logic there, but. Um, the idea that that if UConn can do a little bit better in those places and New Jersey, which is a legitimate, you know, at hotbed for talent, um, there, there's a formula there. And I think that that also is part of it. And again, part of why there um, there should be a belief that UConn can do it if someone's attentive to recruiting, um, attentive to what it takes to succeed when playing tackle football in the year 2022 uh, and beyond. Um, you know, which is something that the last two head coaches were completely awful at was just really having that football strategy um, up with the times and up with where, you know, UConn needed to be at its at its level in, in FBS in terms of how much it needed to deviate from kind of the ground and pound strategy that that um, Alabama and UConn were the only schools, I think, employing. For, for most of last year and Stanford sometimes. Um, so again, I, I think it, it really does, um, you know, go back to how good the staff does. Um, just to kind of outline a little bit about, you know, I mentioned the Herm Edwards model. Um, it's sometimes referred to as the CEO head coach and then comes with a lot of businessy sounding jargon. Um, all of that being said, I think we all, you know, kind of acknowledge how Mora is doing a pretty good job in some of the maybe ancillary aspects of the job, including PR, including the fundraising, including um, building relationships with local entities and running local camps and whatnot. Um, all of that stuff is super important. And then the other theory behind this model is that it makes it good for hiring people on your staff because allegedly, I'm just you know repeating some things I've read, on reputable sports news sites. Um, but, but basically, you know, that this autonomy is something else that you can offer, right? You can't offer the most money, but maybe you can offer more autonomy and a good situation to someone as the offensive coordinator, as the defensive coordinator. Um, I, I too am fine with Spanos for the small amount of continuity that it brings with some people that maybe we wanted to keep on the roster and maybe even the rest of the staff. To speak of some more continuity, Luke Carazola is still a member of the staff. Okay, shout out to uh, one of the great combo uh, edge rushers to, to ever suit up for UConn in recent history. Um, so, uh, I, I think the and, and with Charlton, um, we don't know, right? We don't know how he's going to do, but at least his resume looks like pretty solid for what you might want for someone coming to UConn, right? He was an FCS head coach. That means he took on a very large amount of responsibility. His offense did dip. I think that's totally a fair point, but he also was a good offensive coordinator, a coordinator at the level below, and then understands what a head coach goes through. He's an associate head coach here. I think it's not crazy to think in the ideal mm -hmm. universe, right? That he's the successor, the guy in waiting. Um, and, and in that case, UConn has, for whatever it's worth, a good, young, promising name in the coaching market, you know, who's part of the staff and potentially the future head coach. These are all things that UConn has not had in the past. 
So yeah, that's true. Like I can nip, I can nitpick all I want, and a lot of the things that I'm talking about are nitpicks. But UConn fans are are starving. They're crawling around in the desert looking for one drop of water, and that's sort of the that's sort of the spot that we're at right now. We just want something, and I think that when when you frame it like that, I think that's definitely definitely a, a disconnect between the national media's perception of UConn football as a brand, which I, I think it's fair to say hasn't changed at all since 2011. I think that the, the failed realignment is, is where everyone or where uh, certain folks I won't name it, where everyone's perception of UConn football paused and hasn't resumed. And so I think that when you frame it like that, these moves, they all become a hundred times better. I would, I would say I wish I wish UConn's reputation was stuck in 2011. I mean, unfortunately, I, I think it's gotten much, much worse, right? I mean, those um, – the the Edsel years where it was just freshmen getting bashed up and down the field, you know, um, those did a lot of damage, right? That was like UConn was having historic um, point totals scored against them and stuff like that. Um, even the Diaco season going seven straight games without a touchdown, like – a lot of very demoralizing losses. Um, it was a it was a pretty tough tough ride for the program. So I, I I do think actually very unfortunately UConn's national reputation has gotten worse, and that's something for the athletic director and this new coach and everyone you know involved in the program that they have to deal with, acknowledge, take in as reality, and and do some things about. Um, and I think that includes marketing the program a little bit better, which. Um, there might be some gaps in the strategy there, you know, to just be, to just get that out there. Um, but I, I do think at the end of the day, like this year, not to dive too deep into the schedule, we'll go into the schedule in a future podcast, but I mean, they'll start the season at Utah State. That's going to be obviously a very tough contest, but then they have CCSU, right? Get that, get that win. Uh, Syracuse, that's a, that's a good that's a game that fans are going to go to. And again, I think where the bar is, let's not embarrass ourselves, right? It might happen. Syracuse might be decent by Syracuse standards. What do you think, Tucker? What are they saying about Syracuse this year? Uh, I'm going to report from the, uh, the sidelines of the, uh, the Syracuse fan base here. Uh, they are not optimistic. Uh, they do have some talent. Uh, Sean Tucker, the running back, is very good. Um, I cannot recall the guy's name right now, but they've got a defensive back who's thought of as, you know, a potential day one NFL pick, more likely a round two or three guy, but, you know, a whole season to move up. Uh, nonetheless, the the state of that fan base right now is uh, not, not happy. So, uh, you know, I think that's a team that we can come out right out of the gate after, you know, a home win and potentially get a win there uh, against Syracuse. Um out of curiosity, and I'm going to pose a question to you guys. Uh, does anyone like, would anyone like to guess uh, the, yeah, would anyone like to guess uh, the last time that UConn beat an FBS opponent at home? UMass, that was on the road. Already not not looking great, but you'd have to go back to October twenty first, twenty seventeen against Tulsa, 
which we won 20 to 14. Then all of our wins have been either on the road or against FCS opponents. Uh, I am circling on the schedule right now. My official prediction, kind of a hot take, uh, but on September 10th, 2022, UConn ends a five-year streak and they do beat Syracuse at home. Woo, woot, woot, hot take for Tucker on the initial podcast. Wow. Listen, I am not optimistic enough to, to, to predict a win against, against Syracuse, but um, I do think they are in shape to, to win an FBS game at home. They have a couple of opportunities. Uh, what do you think, Luke? Well, I think next year, uh, well, first of all, m- many people are saying that Syracuse hasn't had the same mojo as a program since the, since the Carrier Dome was renamed and to a non-air conditioning company and they finally got air conditioning many people are saying that that just uh, created bad vibes around the program it will be nice to finally go into a game there that isn't 85 degrees indoors uh no matter what time of year it is and doesn't feel like the the, the sweat and bo of thirty thousand people yes i agree um in but terms of a, in terms of pizza they serve but <laughs> in terms of the fbs uh win this year or wins this year uh, sadly, I do think that the best opportunities for them or the best opportunity for their first F- FBS win does not come at home. Uh, it comes on the road at FIU and uh, at Ball State in back-to-back weeks. But uh, at home, I, I think that UMass is a, is a certainly a winnable game. And I think Syracuse is, de- is definitely the game of the calendar I'm looking forward to the most. Uh, just because um, Syracuse and UConn, a lot of good memories and some not so good memories going back uh, between those two programs and a lot of sports. So I think that uh, Syracuse is, in, in my mind, one of UConn's biggest rivals across all sports. So that's, uh, that's the game I definitely have circled on my calendar. Well, don't Syracuse fans forget that we are their biggest rival it's just <laughs> across all sports. They hate hearing it, but it is true. They're so obsessed with us. They can't stop thinking about us. Um, on the extremely positive note that UConn football might win three games next year, we will wrap up this podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the first edition. We look forward to getting this out on a semi-regular basis during the off season, but then uh, once or twice a week during the season, we hope you'll continue to enjoy the conversation with us. Next week, we'll break down the schedule in a little bit more detail and have some uh, more preview fun. And uh, we'll look forward to going with the rest from there. Tucker, Luke, thank you guys so much. And uh, we'll look forward to chatting next week.